You're listening to the newest podcast from Radii China. Here we're going to talk to guests of different backgrounds from various industries, each with their own story, in the hope of challenging some of our own perspectives by hearing things from another angle. I'm Wes Chen, and you're listening to China from All Angles. I always felt that I would always be basing myself in Asia and in China anyway. Even though we look foreign and we speak English, like I always felt like I was quite Chinese in my upbringing, like being born and raised in Hong Kong. And I never really saw myself living in in the West. Actually, Asia has always been an exciting place for me, just because it's been developing. All the scenes are developing very quickly and very rapidly, and there's a lot of potential. I think a lot of things that are in the West have been set in stone, and there's maybe even certain rule books on how you're meant to do things. But like I think here in Asia, for us, if we have the passion and the creativity, we can actually just make anything happen. I think that sense of exploration and and freedom is very exciting for me. China from all angles is brought to you by East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled services for individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank, bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, bridging dreams. For more info. Visit EastWestBank.com. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of wild, man. Who knows, man? The, the end is not near. You know, <laughs> like who knows what's gonna happen? I know we were supposed to do this right when pretty much the shit hit the fan, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Early March, no, mid March, right? Mid March, we had yeah. it scheduled, and then before all of this popped off, there was a case. Where my studio was at, so we couldn't go to my studio, and then say, "All right, well, we'll see." You know, it can't it can't last that long, and then <laughs> and then mm. little did we know、uh, the whole damn city is in lockdown now. Yeah, man, it's crazy. I hope it blows over soon, but I honestly feel like、um, hopefully they're pretty on top of it. I mean the way the way that、uh, things have happened in the past, they've kind of managed to squash it like really quick. But this is taking a little bit longer than it should it should be. So, how have you been dealing with it, man? I mean,、yeah. you're usually someone that's like out and about. <laughs> yeah.、Um, I mean, honestly, it's been a blessing. I, I feel like in these kind of situations, it's a good test to like you know mental health, right? But just like a person's like outlook and mindset on life. You can always look at the glass being half empty, or you can look at it being half full. You know, as corny as that sounds, I think it's really up to us how we kind of deal with every situation. Life was pretty hectic. Life was pretty crazy, as it always is, like in Shanghai, and I'm sure you know that as well. So, the first couple of weeks, and even up to now, I'm actually not that mad of like you know taking time to catch up with life,、uh, doing a lot of things that I don't normally have time to do: bookkeeping, catching up with reading, research, digging, a lot of things that I have on my checklist that I just. Passed off because other things come into my inbox or come into my daily life. So I've really been in- enjoying taking a step back and、uh, you know reevaluating a lot of things, reflecting, but also planning for for what's next. So it's been a blessing, man. And I'm one of the lucky few people where I actually don't have a security guard on my compound.、Mm. So I've been able to、uh, sneak out, sneak out. I-, I don't know if it's sneaking out. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed outside. But I've been able to like go for walks and I、like, hit up the park. 
in the afternoon. So just, you know, just being able to go out has been able to kind of like refresh my, my, my mind a little bit. So, so yeah, I'm giving the whole experience like an eight out of 10. I, I think we, we could definitely be in better places, but we could be in a lot worse, worse scenarios as well. You know, no one's uh, come up to you with yeah. a megaphone saying, go home, go home when you, when you, uh, been out in the street. No, I've, I've walked past cop cars. I've walked, walked past police squads. I've walked past the, the dive eyes, mm-hmm. the guys in the, the suits. But uh, everything's chill, man. Like, they just... There's actually people out and about, you know. Even if I look outside right now and see people walking around, I think they just maybe belong to some of the compounds that are part of the uh, prevention zone. You know, how they, like, kind of divide it into three zones. So I think the prevention zone, people are allowed out, like, to chill and stuff, so... Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just gonna... Been chill. Give everyone a little bit of background or let you give everyone a little bit of background about yourself and probably some things, even though we've known each other for a while that, you know, I didn't really know all of, I don't know all about. I know you're from Hong Kong. Um, how long have you been in Shanghai now? I've um, been in Shanghai eight years now. Eight oh, okay. and a half We're years right maybe. about the same time. Yeah, around, around eight years. Yeah, I came here uh, January 2014. Yeah, just over eight years. Yeah, we're really just about about the same time. So when did when did you come? You, you, you I came, came from Beijing, right? In 2014 as well. Yeah. From Beijing. Yeah, from Beijing. Oh, nice, nice. But I had That's been right. coming a lot uh, the two years prior to that, and 2014 is when you know I made the move. Ah, uh, word. Yeah, I remember. I remember. There's a lot of homies coming back and forth between Beijing and Shanghai during those years. But then eventually, everyone from Beijing just kind of moved yeah, here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a huge, huge amount of people just ended up here. So, but you were born and yeah. raised in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. So, uh, born and raised in Hong Kong till I was 18. So I lived 18 years in Hong Kong, and then eventually went off to to study in the UK. So I did my my university in Manchester, uh, North England. I think my parents were kind of just like, because my my mom's Chinese, my dad's English. And uh, being born and raised in Hong Kong, I was definitely felt like, you know, more connected to my Chinese side. And then I think my dad is just like, yo, we need to get you to like balance things out a little bit, like live in the UK, absorb that culture. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went over there and lived only for three years or so, three and a half years. And then um, and then moved back to Asia. Actually, I had a stint in uh, Vancouver, Canada as well. So I lived in Vancouver for two years for, for my studies and also a bit of uh, work experience. Yeah, came to Shanghai in 2014. Um, not knowing how long I was going to be here, maybe just for uh, a year or two. And uh, I think like most of us, the city just kind of, you know, you lose track of time and it just kind of takes you on a ride. So here we are eight years later. <laughs> yeah. So you moved from Vancouver straight to Shanghai or you went back to Hong Kong first? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Hong Kong, went to, lived in the UK, from UK, went back to Hong Kong. Uh, actually, from UK, I went to India for like about eight months. I was like teaching in India uh, and then also traveling around there. From India, I went back to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Vancouver for two years, and then from Vancouver straight to straight to uh, Shanghai. Those were kind of like my my route from uh, from my early twenties till when I arrived in Shanghai. I was like it was two thousand fourteen, so I was twenty six. Yeah, damn, time flies. So how did you choose Shanghai? Like, how did you come to that decision? When I was in Vancouver, I was working for a fashion PR company. So I was, I was studying there, but at the same time, I was working for a fashion PR company, consulting for uh, fashion labels to uh, enter the Chinese market. So um, I would work on projects uh, for their PR strategy, but also plan the entry strategy into new markets. And in, I think it was spring, summer 2013, we came to Shanghai Fashion Week for a work trip. So I came here with a bunch of designers and actually it was the first time I came back to Shanghai since I was a kid. Because when, when I was young, my, mom was, my mom's side is uh, 
they're from Hong Kong, but their hometown is in Wuxi. So their hometown is in Jiangsu. So actually, our Chinese side is actually from Jiangsu province. So we're, we're actually from the outskirts of Shanghai in many ways. So when I was a kid, I, I used to come here a lot. But um, it was the first time as an adult coming back to Shanghai in 2013. Um, so that really kind of blew my mind. I was very you know, excited about the energy of the city. And at that time, I was working in the fashion, fashion industry. So you know, being exposed to all these kind of like new brands and the fashion scene was still booming at that time. So it was a really exciting trip for me. I went back to Vancouver and I finished my, my studies in marketing. I was doing a marketing degree at the time. And then the same company that I was uh, working for at the time was like, yo, listen, we're going to actually open a Shanghai office. Would you be one of the core team members to kind of help us open that office and kind of be part of that process? And I jumped on it. I was like, yo, Vancouver's tight, but I'm like in my mid twenties, like, like Vancouver is maybe a, a re retirement city. You know, it's really not for me right now. I've kind of like done the things that I need to do here. And uh, Shanghai is like pretty booming. It's a pretty exciting place. So um, I took the opportunity and I moved in January, 2014. And uh, that was kind of my entrance into, and the main reason why I came here. So the main reason for coming to Shanghai actually wasn't on Yeti Out business. Oh, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't at all. Yeah, Yeti Out was, uh, it was always a thing. It was always a passion project uh, in many ways, but it was never like a main business at that point. So that was actually just the early days of, you know, I was still doing Yeti Out um, and it was, Ye Yeti Out in 2014 existed more as a, a music blog. So that was like really the early days of Yeti Out. It was, we were doing parties, but we weren't like full-fledged turning it into a brand or an agency yet. So yeah, still early days. And that was something that started when you were in UK uh, at uni, right? Yeah. So uh, Yeti Out is a creative collective uh, founded by my brother, Arthur, who lives in Hong Kong. His best friend in university called Eri, who lives in London. And then myself, who uh, I'm now based in Shanghai. But uh, yeah, Yeti Out started in 2010. At that point, it was more like a music blog. And it was during the time of like hype machines and, you know, the, the, the days of like LimeWire. And, <laughs> and it was a very interesting time. It was like pre-Instagram, but social media was a thing. But it was very much like web-based. Like, you know, smartphones were not the way that they are now. And uh, Yeti Out existed primarily as a, uh, a music platform like we were actually just uh, covering stories and artists that we were really into ourselves and um we gained a, a following just by uh sharing music that we were into and during that time there was a lot of music blogs so they were coming up like pitchfork it was 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 the early days of pitchfork now pitchfork is huge ear milk is another one that we used to always tune into right. there was a lot of them and hype machine was a um it was literally the google uh website for music blogs so we were just part of one of the, one of those blogs that was in that ecosystem, and it was a it was a you know 2010 yeah 2010 2011, and there was even a genre of music that came out of that era called like bloghouse. It was like fidget house, bloghouse that kind of came yeah. So it, it was like a, it was a huge thing in in in, uh, in the UK actually and in, in Europe. But uh, the the more that we kind of built things online when we did offline parties, the audience that came out and. Uh, came to our parties, but also the people that were part of our online audience. You know, they were the ones that were commenting on the blog posts. They were the ones that were kind of like interacting with us online. So we kind of built this like online offline community just by doing the blog, but also doing parties. So th those are those are really the early beginning days of Yeti Out, and uh, before we even kind of you know moved over here to, uh, to China and expanded in Asia. So why the name Yeti Out? And in the early days, were you covering mostly? UK artists at the time? Um, yeah, so I guess like to answer both those questions, uh, 
got to really take it back to like when me and my brother kind of first moved over to the UK because, you know, growing up in Hong Kong, we were, the music that we were exposed to was very different from kids that were growing up in, in the West, maybe growing up in like the UK or Europe or anywhere else, actually. Like we were as, as kids really exposed to a lot of like, obviously, Canto Pop was huge. Uh, you know, Sudai Tian Wang, Andy Lau and those guys, like, you know, they, they're like legends in their own game. But I guess what we kind of more geared towards was like really just the, the hip hop culture. You know, like we were really tied into, because um, like we were really into basketball when we were kids. So like we really, really got fell in love with like the kind of golden era of hip hop, but also like, you know, a lot of Dipset, a lot of Murder Inc. A lot of like, <laughs> you know, th those kind of like artists that we were growing up to. And my, my brother, he was at, at that point, he was also like a hip hop promoter. He, he was actually handing out flyers for like DJ Wu Kid from like G Unit when, when he came to like, when he came to Hong Kong. So we were just like tied into that world. But when we moved to, uh, when we moved to the UK, you know, two kids from Hong Kong, we were just like exposed to like all these subgenres, like jungle, breaks, drum and bass, grime, garage, uh, you know, there was just so many drums. We were just like mind blown. And like uh, around 2006, 2007, that was kind of like the early days of like dubstep and drum and bass as well was, was also huge. Um, so we were just kind of exposed to all these music genres and obviously being fresh to our senses, we were like a fan of it right away. We just wanted to like soak it in, uh, whether it's about like interviewing the art artists that were behind it or just going to raves, you know, partying or going to events or, you know, just trying to get getting behind the decks, like just anything that we could get in touch with the culture. We were just like trying to get involved as much as possible. So the, the name Getty Out actually came from uh, kind of like an inside joke of like when you go out partying or you when you when you go out raving, you're always trying to release. You're trying to release your inner your inner Yeti. We all believe that we have a, like an inner Yeti inside us and we're just trying to come out and release that that energy. <laughs> so, it's like um, wilding out. Basically. Yeah, it's like wilding out. It's, it's like wilding out. And we're just trying to like, uh, we're just trying to get it out essentially. So uh, like when we were doing the music blog, we used to always like sign off our music posts with like, instead of like peace or like take care, we're just like Yeti out. You know, it's just, it was like kind of our sign off. So it also just like snowboarded into like the actual name. We, we had no idea that years later it was going to be like, a registered company and you know <laughs> all these kind of things it was just kind of an inside joke yeah. so now yeti out is obviously your your main thing it's definitely my longest lasting project but um i also am part of multiple other projects as well like we also founded our record label called silk road sounds and then uh we also have our creative agency arm here called ox creative so ox creative is more a brand consulting company and at the same time, I'm also part of a uh, fashion distribution company called Selfhood, which is based between uh, Hong Kong and New York. So we work with a lot of different fashion brands and we have a fashion showroom during Fashion Week. But all these projects that I'm a part of, they all, they all link up somehow. We, there's a lot of common ground that gets like, tied into each other. Like the agency arm can help Yeti with collaborations. The fashion distribution company can help Yeti Out's merchandise line get exposure in Western markets, things like that. So Yeti Out is the longest lasting project so far and i would say it's like the backbone to a lot of things that i do on the day-to-day -day basis mm. was there a conscious decision for yeti out to expand into asia expand into china and if so like what kind of sparked that idea was it because of roots being in hong kong mm. and family roots being in china to do so yeah, I, I always felt that I would always be basing myself in Asia and in China anyway, even though we look foreign and we speak English. Like I always felt like I was quite Chinese in my upbringing, like being born and raised in Hong Kong. And I never really saw myself living in, in the West, actually. I never really saw myself developing in, in, in those uh, 
markets. And Asia has always been an exciting place for me just because it's been developing. All the scenes are developing very quickly and very rapidly and there's a lot of potential. I think a lot of things that are in the West have been set in stone and there's maybe even certain rule books on how you're meant to do things. But like, I think here in Asia for us, if we have the passion and the creativity, we can actually just make anything happen. I think that sense of exploration and, and freedom is very exciting for me. So um, it was, I guess, never part of a business strategy or roadmap, but it was maybe just a, at the back of my head that just kind of my, my interests just kind of led me to where we are today. So you guys have partaken in parties, whether it's just going, attending or being involved in them in all different places from the West to here in China. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the major differences between like the club scene, let's say in the UK or even Vancouver versus what we have here in China? Oh man. Mm. I think, I think that, that question is hard because even, even, even with that, there's so much difference. Like even as you, as you definitely know yourself, it's like even talking about the club culture in 2014 compared to club culture in 2022 in China, it's, it's already a huge difference. I mean, even two years ago compared to now, it's a huge difference. So to compare that with the West and the West can mean so many things as well, you know, like London is different from LA, it's different from New York. Um, I guess if we're trying to answer that question on a, mo a, a very broad basis, when I first came to China, I guess like that the, you could hear a lot of different music genres in, in one club night. Like pe people were quite receptive to new sounds uh, and it was quite diverse. But I guess when I was in Europe and we were doing parties there, like when you were doing a UK grime night, it was like grime and garage. And that was what you're going to hear the entire night. But then like you've got a techno night in Berlin, it was like industrial techno for like, you know, 12 hours. Right. But when we were doing parties in uh, in Shanghai or even the early, early earlier years in Asia, we just wanted to kind of like explore uh, having multiple genres and vibes in one night. and. I think a lot of the nights that I was going to, that was happening as well. Like people just wanted to look at the night out as a learning experience. They, they weren't so stuck on just having to like listen to techno for 12 hours. Like they could listen to techno for a couple of hours and then maybe the next DJ will bring some sort of like club tracks or some experimental vibe. And that, that completely worked out all right as well. And, you know, personally for, for Yeti Out, I think that's also where I feel like it keeps things interesting. I don't know how you feel about that because you're also a DJ and, and music head yourself, but if I'm going out, I personally want to hear a bunch of different things instead of just one genre all night, you know? And um, that's why parties that I always looked up to were like, you know, the do-over or like, you know, DJs like Lefto or like Ben GB or like, you know, One Man. Like I always looked up to those guys that were so talented in creating multiple sounds in one set or, you know, deviation as a party is like, You'd have Madlib, but then you'd have Travis Scott, and then you have Flying Lotus as well. Like, I'm, I'm, that's so sick. Like, as a music fan, I'd love to go to something like that and see all those, you know, people in, under one roof. So, I guess to answer your question, the major, the major thing was maybe just the segmentation in the scenes, in, in the music scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally agree as far as uh, personal preference. I definitely would like to hear, you know, more different sounds yeah. uh, when I'm out. And, and I guess that also depends on the type of venue you're going to, too, right? Mm. Like, even, even out here, there are venues where, you know, the DJ wouldn't be allowed to explore in that sense. But, mm. you know, other venues, you know, they're more free to do so, which is probably why we always run into each other <laughs> at, at a lot of the same places. <laughs> true that, true that. Yeah, yeah. Similar taste, man. For sure. Another thing that, you know, you mentioned that 
you've been working on that I guess has probably you know grown out of uh, doing Yeti out is the uh, the label. Yes, yes. So how long has that been going on? And am I correct when I say it's primarily focused on discovering artists in China or in Asia? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually launched the label in 2018. So um, the label came out of a passion for just doing things that were more focused on music. I think over the years, Yeria has born into more of a uh, creative collective. And it's also allowed us to kind of do everything under one one brand. So we do um, radio shows. We have apparel. We have like apparel collaborations. We have like wholesale accounts. But at the same time, we also do parties and consulting as well. So music is definitely the core to everything that we do. But we wanted to launch a platform where we we're very much like focused on the the artists themselves. The the kind of music side of things like art, like Yeti was just turned into like this kind of creative uh, label. So in 2018, we kicked off uh, Silk Road Sounds. The whole goal is really to kind of like connect the creative tribes between the East and the West, but um, kind of exploring the meaning of uh, journey, like what, what 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 journey really means in, in music. And the Silk Road, as you know, is like a mythical trade route between like uh, Asia and Africa and the, the, the Middle East and Europe. But it's also a wordplay on the journey that our crew has kind of come from, you know, East to West, and then now back to back to the East. And the core DNA of the label also ties in artists that have similar values or similar journeys themselves. So the, the, the first compilation we launched was actually a kind of maybe overview of like the sound of the, the sound of the, the label. So we, we, we had like homies like Bohan Phoenix on there, Young Queens, um, you know, on Juicy. So everything from like Cantonese trap music to like bass music from Vietnam, grind music from Japan like experimental music from Taiwan. So it's very much like a, a melting pot of cultures, but also definitely connecting the, the tribes of East and West. Are you guys focusing as a label on the Asia market or trying to bring these artists um, or give them shine in English speaking or a more Western audience? I think a lot of what we do, we just kind of do anyway. And whoever wants to kind of receive that content or art form, they can kind of take what they want, but we don't really have like a, a target strategy. We kind of just do uh, do us and then hopefully the people that are into it, they're into it, you know. But on that note, like, you know, being based in Shanghai here, we obviously use platforms like, you know, that are different from the platforms in, in the West, right? And being based in Hong Kong and London as well, our teams there definitely need to kind of upload and distribute our music on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, you know, there's different like, uh, channels that we, we push that on. But then at the same time here in China, we're using uh, Wang Yi, like NetEase a lot, um, before we on uh, Xiaomi and, and Li, Li Zi. So that intention just comes from, I guess, our lo location of like where we're based and then our kind of distribution channels. But um, I wouldn't exactly say that, you know, we're definitely targeting a specific region. We're just trying to do us. And if people fuck with it, then they fuck with it, hopefully. I mean, the, the language in which uh, it's presented also does you know, some, some of that segmentation on its own though, right? Like the fact that it's presented in English mostly? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's presented, um, it's presented in English, but then we definitely have um, bilingual uh, press releases. So every time we do a release, we do that in bilingual, we get it out in China and Hong Kong, but then obviously we try and target the, the Western media as well. But then the language of the, the music is also quite diverse. Like you'll hear like Cantonese lyrics 
But then, um, like NYPD, that the record that we just we just released in uh, December, it's a post-punk band from Hong Kong that my brother's managing. They're just yelling in like Cantonese, you know. <laughs> so like that that really that record really popped off in uh in Hong Kong, and it was really popular amongst the the market there. But then at the same time, we also worked with a um a house producer from Seoul called Closet E, and she's really like uh, making waves in in Korea. So um I guess working with different artists in different regions, they they also kind of bring a new direction and a new audience in their respective cities. So yeah, we talked about how. The scene is different here uh, versus the West, and you know you mentioned one thing that maybe a lot of the the kids in the nightlife scene here are are more open to to new things, and you know somewhat would even say you know look at it as a a learning experience. I totally agree with that, especially when it comes to soaking up Western culture whether it's from America, whether it's from the UK, and especially with, you know, with the internet and just like information being so readily available nowadays that, you know, kids are really digging in deep uh, when mm. it comes into different genres, things that would be considered pretty underground in, you know, whatever Western country, you know, there's already kids who are digging into that here. But... I feel like mm, mm, mm. it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. And for, you know, someone who's running a label that's discovering mm. new talent in Asia and China, do you find it like, you know, like how open is a Western audience to mm. underground Asian music? I mean, I can say that, you know, BTS is, mm. a, is, a, is an extreme, an outlier or K-pop in itself is an extreme outlier. Mm. But even, you know, groups like Higher Hi mm -hmm. Brothers who, you know, with the help of 88 Rising, you know, have built a somewhat of a following in the West. That following still seems to be more like a bunch of Asian, if not Chinese kids who, who sort of get what they're talking about. But a, a similar mm -hmm. act from the West has way more international and crossover ability than, than an Asian act does in the West. I mean, do, do you see this as a problem mm. or like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting point to discuss. There's a couple of ways to kind of maybe look into that. First of all, like if someone has an interest in something, they'll find a way to, to find out more information about it. So if someone does have an interest in Asian music, like it's it's like it's like you you as a uh, as a selector, right? If you if you go digging, I'm sure you'll find a way to dig out the niche vinyl or, or the other records that you really want to. So if someone has the passion, they will find a way to find out information. But um, I think that the encouraging thing is that um, in the recent years, there has been more labels, crews, artists, brands coming out of Asia, and um, whether that is like you know on a more mass scale like Eight Eight Rising or you know some of the you know, more um, subcultural uh, kind of record labels like Genome, for example. Um, there's definitely a lot more noise coming out of Asia these days. And I think that, that's, a, that's a huge, like, that's a huge um, inspiration. Like, I, I, I think it's really cool that, like, you know, we're kind of putting, um, put it, putting ourselves on the map in, in many ways. But the, the reason why I think a lot of the, the Western artists get more shiny is also uh, partly due to, like, the power of, like, the media. You know, like if you're thinking about um, an artist that is 
like, first of all, like YouTube or some of these channels like Facebook, like they are all Western owned uh, media platforms. So when a Western media platform is being used, then of course, like the, the, the Western audience and the artist is going to be using that platform to promote themselves first. But as you know, like there's also so many artists that are huge in China that the West doesn't know because they're not using these platforms, you know? So I think that, that um, discussion point of like whether, um, whether the Western artists are, are, are maybe um, getting more light or getting more shine than uh, artists in Asia can also be uh, counter-argued by what platform you're using. You know, like you might have like millions of followers on Spotify, but on Wang Yi, you're like unheard of and vice versa. Like, I'm sure we both have homies that are huge on Wang Yi, but like no one really knows them across the other side of the pond, you know? Um, so I think um, that's also subjective. Like, you know, like, like what artists are getting, getting shine and, and uh, you know, what, what they're getting um, respect for. That, it's also like kind of diff varies on what platform you use. And I think like both of us being based here in Shanghai, we have a kind of interesting perspective and understanding of like how that's different because of all the platforms that we use here that actually um, like the, the West can't even access. Like I think I was having this conversation with um, my brother who's based in Hong Kong. So we uploaded, uh, we released uh, the, our latest record, which is, um, which is by um, this uh, breaks artist from Hong Kong called the, the Magus Project. And uh, my team here in Shanghai uploaded on Wang Yi and on, on NetEase and all these platforms. And then we're just sharing it on the WeChat group chat. And uh, like they, none of them mm. could access that because you, you need a VPN in Hong Kong to access right. NetEase in China. So, and I completely forgot about that. I completely didn't realize that they can't even enter, enter these platforms. So uh, I think there's, by the way, there's also, there's already a disconnect there in terms of like uh, music sharing. Um, that's why it's, it's important for people like us and, uh, you know, that they have an understanding on uh, music distribution, but also like, I guess, um, having a vision of like how to share music uh, in a wide range of um, uh, formats to be able to kind of like target both the Western market and the Asian slash local Chinese market. Like we, we should just, it should be our kind of like job and mission to kind of spread this content to as many ways as possible and just get the word out there, you know? Because um, the, the more we do that, the more people are gonna understand what's really happening out here, you know? So we kind of have that responsibility in many ways. Yeah, I'd also say that there's a difference when it comes to more underground genres and maybe more com commercial genres as well. Like commercial genres, I think it's mm. harder for non-Western acts to gain following in the West. Um, but 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 let's say like you know if if, mm -hmm. we, if if the genre we were talking about is is more like electronic and it's more like producer based rather than like a frontman vocalist then sometimes it doesn't even matter where this person's mm. from it's just purely based on the sound that they're putting out and i think you know certain genres have more crossover yeah. ability as yeah. well although you know the k-pop thing is still like amazes me to this day yeah yeah that's that k-pop is definitely interesting right because it's like uh, K-pop is huge in the states, but it's all in Korean. They don't, no one, no one knows what they're saying, right? Like they don't, yeah. But some of the some of the non-Korean Western fans can sing along now, even so, like they they yeah yeah they busted the doors open. I don't know how they did it. Exactly. Well, same with um Itchy Ma, right? right. Do you remember when Keith Eight dropped that, and uh, kids were going wild, and then I remember um we were actually in a I was in I was in New York when Keith Eight was touring. I went to one of the shows and. All these like kids in America were just like screaming the Korean lyrics, but no one really 
I'm pretty sure they didn't know what it meant, you know. But I guess that's also inspiring. Right? It's like the power of music. Like if it makes you move and it gives you a type of feeling, then it doesn't really matter what the language is. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, Another uh, thing that you mentioned that you're heavily involved in is uh, fashion. And, you know, sort of the same question, but on the fashion end of things, you said you've been helping a lot of Western brands try to enter the Chinese market. You know, through your experience, what would you say it is that a lot of these Western brands who are trying to enter China don't understand about China? I think, um, and this is like, maybe... It, it's hard because like, every brand has their own strategy and they've got their own story. So it's hard to say, you know, which brand is doing the right thing or which brand is doing the wrong thing. But um, I, I do see a lot of the brands and they're not necessarily our clients, but just brands in general. They, they want to enter China just because they are here to try and like maybe make mm -hmm. money, you know, just do business here and just to improve their, their business overall. So then they can continue doing things in other parts of the world. So China is just like a cash grab for them. They make money here and then they can continue doing the pop-ups in other places, but they're not really like investing into the culture back into China. So I think that's maybe a huge flaw in many ways because the local market can see through that. You know, if you're just coming here to uh, clearly, your strategies are, are clear that you're not really investing into the culture itself and you're also not giving back to the culture, then there's ultimately no uh, longevity for your business here. Because the, the, the brands that are really making the impact are the ones that are really contributing back into the culture in China. And they're really ones that are kind of, you know, nurturing talent as well. Um, whether it's a record label A&Ring new, new, new talent in a music industry, or it's a sports brand nurturing a athlete here, you know? So I think that's maybe a huge thing that brands need to be aware of, is that if, if you want longevity here, you really got to kind of work from the ground up and, and um, kind of give back instead of just take. I think that's the that's the only way to say things in the mo most general way um, possible. Because obviously every brand has their own strategy, so it's hard to kind of give specific examples here. Right. Yeah. What, so what would you say about the more recent rise of a lot of local brands in China? Mm. There's a lot of... Now there's... In almost every, you know, big city, there's a few local streetwear brands, also major labor, label fashion apparel brands that are that are popping up out of China. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an exciting time. I think for the longest time, uh, there was a lot of culture being imported into China. And um, I mean, even ourselves to begin with, like we're, we're definitely responsible for that, you know, like the early days of Yeti, 2014 to 2016, 17, we were touring a lot of artists, like we we're maybe doing like four international headliners a month. And during that time, uh, we were kind of putting on a lot of Western talent into, into China. But then during that time, we were also trying to keep things balanced. So definitely trying to have, trying to have the, the local artists opening up as well. And I guess an, an answer to that was also launching the record label. Where we didn't want things to be lopsided. We wanted to also put uh, Asian artists to the rest of the world and not just be importing, importing con content and importing uh, art, you know. And that, that crosses over in music, but it also crosses over in fashion. And our party has been an example, but then you also see trade shows like Intersect, uh, Yo Hood, uh, Shanghai Fashion Week, Labelhood, all these kind of IPs. And if you look at the roster and programming, it's definitely in the earlier part of like the, the decade, there was maybe Intersect was like the majority like foreign brands, you know, like a lot of the West Coast LA brands were created in. But then in the last couple of years, I think the, the balance has shifted. And 
Uh, what's really exciting for me is to see uh, all these um, local designers coming up and local brands as well that are just absolutely killing it. You know, that they're, they're smashing it, and like the lookbooks are are awesome. The production is is really really innovative. Uh, the materials that they used are like you know it's really competitive compared to what we're seeing in like fashion week and and uh, different trade shows in uh, in the other countries as well. So. There's definitely a lot of like innovation happening in China, and it's a pretty exciting time because I just can't wait for like the rest of the world to kind of see some of these brands. You know, like especially during the last two years,、uh, we weren't able to travel outside of China. So going to Fashion Week here and going to the, going to the runway shows and seeing some of these showrooms is like wow, this is crazy. That it's like, it's this is coming out of this country right now. I just I just can't wait for these these kind of brands to be like you know walking Fashion Week in like Milan or like Paris and like and really putting China on the map. Yeah. It's it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild. Yeah, that's that's definitely gonna happen much sooner, I think, than、uh, than it will in the music industry. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I, <laughs> I think so, right? And I think it also goes back to um, maybe it's just going going back to this platform thing, you know, social media and and what we use, and I think so、mm-hmm. much of the music is really tied into platforms that are so domestic, but fashion can be seen on. Multiple formats, you know. It can be seen in, in photography. It can be seen in fashion shows and live streams. You can wear it, so people that wear it can travel. You know, so I think this kind of format of expression is can travel further than music sometimes. You know, strangely enough, yeah. Yeah, there's less of a language barrier. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right. So much with the、uh, industry talk.、Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to maybe bring it back to yourself personally. I know. Before, when we had originally scheduled to meet at my studio, that you had just actually come back from a long trip, right? Oh yeah, yeah, true. That was like early, I guess, late January, early February. I just came back from the outskirts of Tibet. So it's、um, we we pretty much went from Chengdu to、um, Lanzhou, and Lanzhou is in North China. And then in between those two cities, there's a huge、uh, Tibetan plateau. So we spent about eleven days out there,、um, just trying to start the year out in a peaceful way, and it's 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 really beautiful out there. You know, it's just like mountains. Like was it Qinghai? Qinghai? No, it's not Qinghai. It's uh, Xiahe. Sorry, my bad. Xiahe, Gansu. Sorry, my bad. Gansu. Yeah. So is we we were in, yeah we, Gansu yeah, province. We're in Gansu, and then we went to like uh Gannan, not Nanfang. Yeah. That is not. A normal travel destination for、uh, holiday goers. How'd you guys end up end up picking that?、Um, so yeah, I guess like the last two years, as you know, like we haven't been able to leave China. So I, I myself,、uh, my travel schedule used to be tight knit because every every week we'd be going to a different place to perform or like doing a pop up. And actually, pre COVID, we were maybe only based in Shanghai about ten days, ten days or seven to ten days a month. But since COVID hit, we haven't been able to go anywhere. But it's been a blessing because we've been able to discover a lot of China and what the country has to offer as well. So the last two years we've been heavily touring, and I think that has allowed me to kind of understand, you know, my motherland a little bit better, understand the the the, the country that we live in, but also see some things that like we normally wouldn't be seeing because we're too busy in like Thailand or Tokyo or something, you know. And one of the places that I've always wanted to visit is Tibet, but because.、Um, Because of the COVID restrictions, we weren't able to go to Lhasa, so we went to the outskirts of the, of the Tibetan Plateau to like Gansu, and、um, that was like a very special place to kind of start off twenty twenty one. Sorry, twenty twenty two. I think the last two years has been kind of hectic, and for me, I just wanted to kind of reset the year and start things a little bit different. 
And it really, really worked out, you know, leaving a city of like 26 million people in Shanghai just to go in the middle of nowhere and just kind of like, we hung out with some monks, you know, <laughs> we went like uh, hiking, uh, <laughs> just like drank yak tea every day, um, you know, beautiful mountains. So it was definitely a great way to start the year. And, and at the same time, we also shot a lookbook for uh, one of our collaborations that we dropped in March with uh, a South Korean brand called Balanza. So uh, yeah, there was a bit of work tied mm. into it as well, but that, yeah, I can never escape from that. <laughs> always working, always working. <laughs> Just trying to make things happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you talk about this last two years of COVID in China. Um, not only have we not been able to travel internationally as freely as we would like, but international artists have also been unable to come to China. Mm -hmm. And I think this has a, had a huge impact on the nightlife, the club scene here as well, because... Normally, there would be bookings for, you know, whether they were big time DJ mag, you know, electronic DJs or, you know, or artists from from whatever genre. Yeah. But now, you know, all the clubs here didn't have that access and had to turn inwards to local talent. Mm. What, what do you what do you what did you see as someone who's like, you know, a promoter as well as someone who does events? Mm. Like, how did that change? things for you and yet yeah yeah i think that's been an interesting time for sure i think i was talking to my friend uh ross about this the other day because like uh yet also f functions as a booking agent so uh we were touring a lot of the artists as well and doing flight shares with other um clubs and promoters around asia so we were also responsible for a lot of those yeah like as i mentioned before like uh influx of uh foreign artists coming into asia not not just not just uh, shanghai as well but also like we're doing it in like tokyo and seoul and things like that but i think it actually hit a a a ceiling where there were a lot of these kind of like um, mid-range artists that were getting toured for like 800 to 1,500 USD landed fees. And they were just coming in constantly. They were just coming in like one after another, one after another, to a certain extent where like maybe Shanghai and a lot of these Asian uh, uh, cities, it was like people were starting to get a little bit like, um, like I wouldn't say bored because, you know, you never have a boring party, but it was getting a little bit stale, you know, like, not all these artists were, um, they, they really needed to be touring, you know, like some of them were just, um, I think there's also this perception in the West is like, when you're trying to like kind of get into international touring, you try and hit Asia first. That's like the kind of, I think when we speak to uh, Western booking agents, they try and hit Asia first. And once they hit Asia, that's kind of where they kind of get their touring points up. And then, then they hit the Europe's and then the, the, the USA market, you know? So um, anyway, my point being, there was maybe a little bit too much touring happen. Uh, happening, you know, up until 2019. So when 2020 hit and the pandemic came about, this kind of resetted everything. And I think all those budgets and fees that clubs and promoters would normally be putting in uh, foreign artists and agents' pockets, you know, that was really going back into the domestic scene. So the local artists were getting paid. The new, there were new artists coming up, new uh, DJs, new, uh, you know, everything really, crews, labels. So in that sense, I think the scene was really developing quick. And it was a good thing, you know, like we're really kind of supporting the, the domestic scene. The money's going back into the local market and there's collaborations between local talent again. So for, for the first year and a half, I think this was like really, really exciting. And I was really like excited to be part of it and see it grow as everything goes, right? Like when there's too much of something, there needs to be a refresh and a reset. So I think up until a year and a half, there was maybe the DJs were playing too much, you know, they're out DJing too much. And then the... Uh, clubs and promoters were maybe starting to run out ideas because there was no 
idea there's no uh, aspect of what a headliner is anymore you know like before the headliner was a foreign artist coming in mm -hmm. from new york city right but now it's like that 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 concept kind of like didn't apply as strongly anymore so um i think artists and promoters have to kind of reinvent themselves like you know come up with new concepts so that was a time maybe a year and a half into the pandemic where you really saw which promoters were the innovative ones and which ones were just kind of like maybe lacking ideas and and kind of like on just just cruising you know um so i think like the pandemic has meant many things and it's it's been a it's been great for the scene actually to to support local talent but it's also been a challenge and really been pushing our our creative juices you know um how do you how do you feel man i'm interested to get your perspective as well like do you think it's been a good thing or do you think it's been kind of like a kind of limbo stage i mean i i think it's definitely a good opportunity for a lot of local talent that maybe would have gotten overlooked mm. i do feel that even though this has improved recently but chinese youth culture has for a long time had this stigma of like whatever's coming from outside of china must be better mm, yeah, you know? yeah yeah and you know and and when it comes to like booking artists and stuff this has also been it's been a it's been i would say it's it's been a big obstacle for a lot of local artists yeah and i think this covid situation has forced the people who maybe own the venues or you know who are maybe only doing this as a business to open up their options and then realizing that a lot of local talents can just bring in just as much yeah. money or attention yeah, yeah. that a foreign act might as well. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that even when, even when this is all, you know, COVID is all uh, said and done, borders are open and stuff that, you know, it will be much more balanced than, than it was before this all started. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, I think a hundred percent agree with you, man. I think like, um, a lot of the local talent is like, if anything, like I've heard some of the most, like the sickest DJ sets, like in the last couple of years. And I've, I've heard maybe in the last like 10 years, you know what I mean? And like, that's, it's just, like an art form shouldn't really matter about which city you rep, you know, just because you're jetting from New York City doesn't mean you're necessarily better than some homie from Chongqing, you know, like it's, uh, it's really been a pedestal and uh, it's, it's, it's super exciting to see some of the local uh, talent really stepping up. So yeah, good times, man. Yeah, it's also a big challenge for, you know, the local talent to like, you know, now the stage is yours, mm. you know, you, you got to do something good with it. And, and, and I think, you know, everybody stepped up to that challenge. I think what's also interesting that is that, um, in the West, while all the clubs have been closing and, you know, really iconic institutions to radio stations during, during the pandemic, in 2021, like how many clubs were opening in, in China? It's, it's so crazy, right? Like, right, like right. even in Shanghai alone, there was maybe a new club opening every two or three months. And it just felt so weird, like that I would be on Western social media and like my favorite radio station, like Red Light Radio in Amsterdam is like, you know, shutting after 15 years. And like this club in London is, is done, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I'm switching platforms on my phone to WeChat and it's like, these people are trying to get me to go here on Friday night and there's a new club opening like two weeks from now. And it just felt so weird that because COVID had just completely separated not only the music scenes, but also, I guess, the people that were in hospitality and running businesses, you know, like... Right, right. Um, nightlife and club culture was booming here while the rest of the world was falling apart. But now we're in a very interesting situation where we're flipped 
once more. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you, but then Coachella's on right now in LA, right? But like me and you are like strapped right. in here right. for like 23 days inside already. So, um, and then I'm, 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 I was just on Instagram earlier. I'm seeing uh, some of our friends like just announcing their uh, European tour dates. And I'm just like, wow, this is such a, it's such a mind fuck. You know what I mean? Like, we're just constantly like back and forth. Like. It's our turn. Yeah, it's like upside down. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this and how long this is going to last because, I mean, we're, we're in the thick of it right now in Shanghai, but it's popping off in other cities too. Like other places, places are getting locked down and, and this might not be a good year for China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real, man. We just got to hold tight and see, man. But I, I mean... Yeah, I think that's that's why it's cool that we we're doing these kind of uh, you know having these kind of conversations and creating uh, dialogue and you know uh, by sharing ideas and sharing like stories like this is something that can happen on the internet no matter the pandemic situation in respective cities you know so I think mm. this is pretty cool like the whole podcast thing too. All right, so we end every episode of this podcast with uh, with the same two questions that we asked every guest. Okay, okay, and I guess your. You're a little bit different because, you know, you lived in a lot of places. But how would you say life in China has changed your perspective? Damn, we're going deep. Wow. I think it's given me a lot more patience, actually. Like, when I first arrived here eight years ago, I used to be very um, annoyed at maybe little things. Like, if some things didn't uh, work properly, whether it be uh, the VPN... <laughs> on social media or maybe certain apps or it was just things were different out here because of the way things are done but I think I've just learned to deal with so many different lifestyles and, and communication platforms and ways of uh, doing business and just uh, interpersonal relationships that it's actually allowed me to become more of a patient person overall. Shanghai as a city is very hectic there's many things going on and there's many ways of uh, dealing with whichever scenario but if you can kind of maintain this kind of mindset of peacefulness, then you can actually get through a lot of things. You know, when the people that let the city eat them up are the people that normally see a lot of failure because they get impatient, they, they're not at peace and they just uh, can't deal with the stress of the city, you know. So I think uh, if you can kind of manage that inner peace and kind of manage that patience, then uh, Shanghai is a city that you can hopefully, hopefully strive in, you know. Um, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty hectic place. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, what would you say is the biggest misconception of China? I mean, there's so many, right? There's so many misconceptions of China. I think even how the media is portraying the pandemic right now, there's so many perception misconceptions, and I think it's hard to pinpoint one. But I take everything with a grain of salt these days. I, I don't know what media is giving the correct numbers. I don't know what opinions are true. I think the only people that I trust are maybe my inner circles, my friends, my family. And also, I just going to trust, trust my own judgment, you know? Like, if you read CNN, you read BBC, you read Sky News. Like, even if you read CCTV, the, the Chinese media, everyone is saying something with an intention behind it. So there's Shanghai Observed, you know, that Instagram account. Like, there's so much misconception. And, and, um, <laughs> I can't believe you called them out. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about that another time. I think, I think it's, um, 
I mean, it's funny that I put that in the same sentence as CNN. Huh? <laughs> but it's like, um, <laughs> there's a lot of misconceptions. I think like the only way to kind of really know the truth is just to live it and experience it. You know, if you just read what you have on the internet, like a lot of times it's not, it's really not what it is. And, you know, we grow up, at least I grew up like trusting a lot of these Rupert Murdoch institutions, you know, BBC being one of them, uh, sorry, uh, Sky, you know, CNN, like all these certainly huge, huge uh, companies, but actually like they all have their own financial interests behind them. So maybe I'm going to answer that question with a interesting perspective is that like, you know, the misconceptions that you have of China, uh, maybe kind of like think twice about that, you know, like, you know, maybe it's not about like, like a lot of people have misconceptions about everything, but it's, it's really, it's really not what it is. And I, I really encourage uh, listeners or people that are maybe curious about China to actually, you know, come and spend some time here. You know, like if there are misconceptions about the place, like maybe question those things before, um, before kind of accepting them, because it's a, it's a great place to live. I think, you know, um, there's, a, there's a lot, you know, a lot of dope music, creativity, artists, opportunities here. Um, but there's no, there's no really one way to kind of, uh, to kind of ex- experience it apart from just experiencing it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Cause I think it's maybe a long winded version of it, but no, 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 that's totally fine. Um, I think pinpointing one is maybe giving too much of an explanation and you know, that explanation leave listeners to maybe want to find out for themselves. So I think you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good answer to that question. All right, Tom, thanks for taking the time. Hopefully, man, we can have, have a beer soon, face-to-face. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I would love to come to the studio and have a beer. And uh, hopefully we can do that within the next couple of weeks. But yeah, if, fingers crossed. If not, you know, who knows how long this is going to last. Maybe we'll end up having a, having a, Zoom, having a Zoom, uh, Zoom drinking which is not nearly as fun, but... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, no, thanks so much for, you know, making time for this. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. All right, big thank you to this episode's guest, Thomas Bray, a.k.a. Tom Yeti. If you like this episode of China From All Angles, do us a favor and hit subscribe. Or share with a friend or leave us a comment and let us know what you think. If you want more content like this, head to RadiiChina.com. And of course, this podcast could not have been made possible without support from East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled financial services to individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank, bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, and bridging dreams. For more info, visit eastwestbank.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Radii. 